Good morning, everybody. Welcome today to Bible study. Isn't it a beautiful day? It always is when you start the day off with the Lord and give some consideration to His holy word. And I'm I'm excited about being with you and to sit here in the beautiful city of Arlington here in near Washington. It's raining like the Dickens outside. And I've always found a rainy day to be a preferable day to study the Bible. There isn't too many other things you might can do or have to do. So you can look at God's word and let the word give you warmth. And and also good on a snowy day, I think. The word of God sort of wraps itself around you and gives you some warmth. Well, we've got one for you today that's warm. Because St. Paul is getting down to the nitty gritty of his business talking to this Philippian church and telling them exactly what God has done to him in his life and what he wants God to do to them in their life. And he just is raring. So we're going to get after it right now. And we're going to once again begin the reading, read the text, read the text to you, as is, uh, and that is Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1 through 14. And you might want to know that I'm using a paraphrase that's easily understandable called the Living Bible. Here's a shot of it there, the Living Bible. It's really relatively easy to read, easy to understand. So here we go. Whatever happens, dear friends, you be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and it's good for you to hear it again and again. Watch out for those wicked men, dangerous dogs, I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For it isn't the cutting of our bodies that makes us children of God, it's worshiping him with our spirits. That's the only true circumcision. We Christians glory in what Christ Jesus has done for us and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. Yet if anyone ever had a reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could. For I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony when I was eight days old having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew if there ever was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom. And sincere? Yes, so much so that I greatly persecuted the church I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
I've put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now, I have given up everything else. I found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life for those who are alive from the dead. I don't mean to say I am perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be. But I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. And there is a reading of the text we're going to consider together this morning. Well, you can see that Paul has just laid out there his passion, expressing how the salvation of Jesus is so important that he just discards everything else. And we're going to look at his discards, too. We're going to look at what he threw away in order to achieve what he achieved. It, it, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what his, he's hoping for a little bit. We're going to look at what he wants to happen, what he foresees ahead of him when he does that looking ahead. But we're going to turn now from the reading, the reading of the text. We're going, we're going, we've read it. Now what we're going to do is we're going to try to give some interpretation to it a little bit. We're going to read it and get familiar with it. Now we're going to look at the interpretation of it. Think about it a little bit. And that's what good Bible study is, to, to just think about it a little bit. Now in order to do that, I usually use the King James Version of the Bible. And that's, that's a reason for that, because the words in the King James are significant. They set off little bells in our minds when I say the word. Like, if you look at the first verse in the King James, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, you know we've heard that a million times. But over in the, over in the paraphrase, it says, Be glad in the Lord. That doesn't have the zing to it. That doesn't have the... The ring to it in my head that rejoicing does. Rejoicing is a little bit different in my mind from being glad about something. So it's a little bit stronger. And he says, to write 
the same things to you in verse 1 of chapter 3. To me, indeed, not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Now, this means that it's secure. It's secure for you. Uh, he is secure in what he believes and what he, what he feels for his churches. And then he's, he, he's, he's just, he just mentions that he is rejoicing. Rejoice is what he wants you to do. This, this Philippians is a, been called the uh, book of joy. It, it expresses how Christians need to be joyful to think on things in terms of joy. Uh, and then rather than in terms of sadness all the time. And, uh, <clears throat> so the word there for rejoicing is charis. <clears throat> We've heard that word before. We've studied that word together many times. Charis, charismata, charismata. If you believe in the joy of the Lord, you express yourself joyfully. You, you're charismatic. Charismatic means power and charis means joy, powerful joy. So I've said this before, but I need to say it again, particularly going through Philippians, because you run into it at every corner. He wants you to be have a joyful life. It's hard to be joyful in the midst of sadness. I know I had a friend this morning, just got word that had COVID, that had passed away. And uh, my first reaction was, was a reaction of, of, of sadness because he, you know, he, he had taken his precautions. He'd done everything he could, but... He was an elderly man, and he'd passed away over very suddenly from COVID. And I thought to myself, my goodness. And then I thought, well, you know, he's lived a long life, and he's done a lot of wonderful things. And when he died, he was still doing them. He was happy, and he went to the Lord quickly. And I thought to myself, well, I might as well be happy. I might as well rejoice in in his passing over and passing through this, this veil of tears to the land of joy. That Paul speaks about. So we say rejoicing is important to the nature of being a Christian. I submit to you that some of our funerals that we have are, are joyful. And they're joyful because of the wonderful expression of passing over the river and going to be with Jesus. Well, joyful, joyful. He says then, then he turns. He says, look out for the dogs. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, of the concision. So in the second verse, we hear that the Judaizers, as he calls them, uh, which is that mixture of of Christian and Jew, where you have a, a, a legalistic Christian and a slacking Jew. They come together. Judaizing, Judaizers in Paul's day were different from Jewish Christians today. They were very, very, very different. But they were he wants to he contends with them over the Gentiles because he wants to be sure that Gentiles follow Jesus and trust in Jesus for their righteousness rather than following the Judaizers who believed that circumcision and the law was what saved you. It's not disrespectful, it's not a bad thing to believe that, but it isn't it's alongside of Jesus. It pales. It, it's not good. And, and Paul, you know, he, he calls them dogs. You know, a dog will, is a terrible thing. I mean, some people, some people love dogs. I love dogs terribly. I love dogs, but he calls them dogs because a dog will sometimes will bite you. 
Maybe, maybe you need biting. I don't know. But sometimes they will. They have the potential of doing harm. And, uh, in that part of the world, they look down on it a lot of time. Texas Muslim brothers look down on dogs and, uh, they have their reasons. But, uh, he says, finally, beware of the concision. See, circumcision is one thing. Concision is another. Concision is just cutting. Circumcision is that round cut that makes a man, uh, 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 conform to the right of circumcision applied in Judaism. But the concision is different. All, all Paul says, they do, all they do is just cutting. All they do is just cutting skin. You don't want nothing to do with that, he says. Because in verse 3, he reads, he writes, for we are the circumcision. What does that mean? We, all of a sudden, the church has become that which is the circumcision. That which means that we're all under the glory of God. That which worship God in the spirit, he says, and rejoice, as that word again, in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So that's the third verse there. We are the circumcision. We, you, me, brothers and sisters together, we are, we are that thing that makes us right with God. In Jesus, and that that's we are the circumcision, not that circumcision. We are now, we are the new circumcision. In verse 4, he writes, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, I more. Now, he's going to paint you a picture of what he's like, what, what he's gone through, what he's given up. He says, I was born to, to, to be a Jew. That, that's very significant. He's not a proselyte to Judaism. He was a proselyte to Christianity. He was, he was on the road to Damascus when Jesus came into his life. But back here, back here, he's, he was born a Jew. It, that's very significant. It's, it's one thing to be, uh, to adopt Judaism, but they were never as, as strongly looked upon as was one who was born into the faith, because Judaism is not only not only religious, but it's cultural and ethnic. It's, there's an ethnicity about the Hebrew. They're, they're ethnically different than their neighbors, and uh, even in parts of the world where you, you, they, they marry, uh, they don't they don't intermarry with Gentiles. They so therefore they they consider themselves ethnically pure. So Paul was is mentioning that here of the stock of Israel, he says in verse uh, five there, uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. So he was a, a, a believer in the law. The Pharisees had that thing. Now he says he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Don't don't want to pass over that too lightly either, because a Jew hearing that is going to perk up. We'll perk up real quick because Benjamin's tribe, being being the youngest t- child there of uh, no matter, um, uh, uh, Jacob, being the youngest child, he was the smallest of the twelve tribes. Benjamin is a small tribe. Benjamin is tucked up on top of Judah, right up underneath of there, and Jerusalem is there and all that stuff, right in there. He, in other words, he was a Jew of the Jews. And they were important, they were some of the best fighters in all of the 12 tribes. 
they were they were called the nickname the wolf tribe. Wolf tribe. So a, a, a Jew reading this is going to say, "Oh, that's a wolf." See, it's just like it means it means something to them. So Paul is is has got this zeal. It turns up here in the sixth verse concerning zeal. Why you think I was zealous? I was persecuting the church. He says, touching the righteous which is in the law, blameless. Just blameless of that. He had a close proximity to who he was in Judaism and now in Christ. But all of that, all of that, the wolf tribe, the ethnicity, all of that, he tosses away and throws away to become the blameless child of Christ. If we look at verse 7, we read, By what things were gained to me, I now count loss for Christ. He's got a new priority. His new priority is Jesus. You can tell what St. Paul's priority was by looking at his checkbook. <laughs> he didn't have one, but, but if, you, if you looked at what he did, you could tell where his priorities were. See? How about you and your checkbook and your pocketbook? If I looked at your checkbook, I could tell what your priorities are. And so you want to be, be sure that you count as loss everything for Jesus. If you do, if you do, your checkbook will change shape on you. It'll look different to you. And, and he says he forfeits it. He, in other words, he gives it up. He throws it up. He forfeits. He forfeits. He lets it go. And in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now this wonderful verse, verse 8 here, many of us have heard this scripture many times. I want you to know that knowing Christ, he says here, when you know something, you're conscious of it. This is important to get because we think that to know Christ is uh, some deep mystical journey inward uh, where we, you know, find ourselves inside, deep down, when in truth, knowledge is just simply Becoming conscious of something. That's at its lowest level. And that's where I want to go with this. I don't want to get out of hand here. I just want to say that if you say you know Christ, what that basically means is that you keep him before your consciousness. Now that's a lot harder to do than you think it is. Because I sometimes walk around thinking about how I'd like to have a popsicle, you know. Or go around all day long. My goodness, I think I'll go to the store and get me a popsicle. I haven't had one in so long. Well, see, that's not thinking about Jesus. But if you keep in your mind a consciousness of him, consciousness of him, that's how you know him. That's how you get to know him. And especially if you bring him to your conscious mind at a certain time every day. Bring him to your conscious mind at a certain time every day. Say, 9 o'clock, Jesus time, okay? He becomes conscious to you. Conscious to you. That's what knowing it is. He says he suffered for it. 
And all that other stuff he says, I count it as a bunch of trash. Bunch of trash. Throw it away. I had a preacher one time told me, half the stuff you get in the mail is nothing but a bunch of trash. <laughs> and he's so true. It's so true. I mean, all the religious stuff I was getting in the mail, and I was reading and reading and reading. You know, I got to do this and that. And I, all these forms and stuff. He said, that's just a bunch of trash. Throw it away. <laughs> well, it's helpful to realize what matters and what doesn't. What's really good and sweet and tasty and what's awful and nasty and just as looks like something coming out of the bottom of a sewer. That's what Paul says. This world is like, just like the bottom of a sewer. Just throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. Dumb, that I may win Christ, that I may win this race. And in verse 9, and he found him in not having my own righteousness, but the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. The, the, the faith that you had before the law was given. You, you know, Paul likes Abraham because Abraham was before the law was. And God says that Abraham was righteous with God because he followed God. He walked with God and before the law was even invented. You know, so, so if Abraham can do it, you can do it. He can do it. All can do it. It's not to say that the law is bad because it was given at a time in Israel's history when it was important and necessary and all of that. But but you don't have to abrogate the law in order to follow Jesus. You, the moral law is good. You keep it with you. You keep it with you. That's what makes John Wesley so, so wonderful. He talked about how you don't, you don't abrogate the law. Some people do today, you know. They say Jesus is all we need. And all we need from Jesus is what Jesus said. And all we need to hear what Jesus said is what I say he said. See? And God goes down a hole of, of, of what's called antinomianism. Most people are against the law. People that tell you the law of God ain't no good no more. We got a new law in Jesus. Love everybody. Hine, hine, hine. No, that's bad. That's not, that's, that's antinomian. We don't, we don't go there today. <clears throat> Verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. Know him again, know him, know, conscious of him. And the fellowship of his sufferings, in verse 10, and being made comfortable unto his death. It's more completely explained here. I, by mean, in verse 11, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. See, I want to I wanna be, meet him in the sky from the resurrection of the dead. In verse 12, not as though I had already attained or were already perfect, but I follow after. See, he's, 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 he's working on himself. He don't claim he got it. He doesn't claim he has it all together. He hasn't arrived. Even St. Paul hasn't arrived. He hasn't arrived. I haven't arrived either, you know. And then he talks about there in verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended but one thing I do. This wonderful famous verse, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before. Of giving up on the past, for example, and reaching out for the future. Uh, a wonderful evangelist told me one time, Earl Dyson said, your life lies ahead of you. Life lies ahead of you. It doesn't lie behind you. And, and, and he wants you to be in the present. Think about it right now. Forget what lies behind. Concentrate on the future. In the present. So, there you have it. That, I press on, he says, for the mark. Of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. We've done that. We've done a little bit of interpretation.
And that's important because whenever you interpret the word of God thoroughly, you, you, you're going to learn something about it, learn something from it. What is not interesting to think about is the things that are not in Paul's letters about Jesus, the Jesus of history. Jesus is alive for Paul. He's right there, right beside him. He knows him. As I once said to you before, Paul's letters precede the gospel. Uh, and that's true. These, this is old material. This is a very important material. People had gotten ahead of Paul in these places and were there waiting for him a lot of time. How did that happen? Well, if you read in Corinthians, you remember he said that over 500 saw him at one time, resurrected. Well, what do those 500 people do? Go down in a cave somewhere? No. They went all over the world spreading the word of God. See, that's, that, that, and that's written by Paul before Paul. So people were scattered around believing in Jesus and loving Jesus. I have a, uh, came across a, a gentleman who is down in, uh, Atlanta. He's a, the right Reverend Robert C. Wright. He's a Episcopal bishop there in Atlanta. And he wrote on this, this, this topic, this Philippians 3, 4 through 14. He wrote a commentary on it. He's an interesting gentleman. He, he's the Episcopal Bishop of, at the Atlanta Diocese, the Episcopal Church. He was an orphan in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, given in the orphanage at nine months old. He was adopted. He grew up there and became a helicopter crew, crew chief. He was a lifesaver, a, a diver, emergency diver. He uh, went to school at, uh, up in Virginia, Virginia Seminary. And, and from there, he, he went down to St. Paul's in Atlanta, where he was a preacher for 10 years, and then they made him bishop down there. But an interesting fellow, interesting, interesting thing to say. He says this, it's hard to recognize our modern faith with Paul's faith. Paul found something in Jesus that emboldened him to forfeit his previously normal life. Paul's faith is made up of things forfeited. How do we know that? That's what he said. I've suffered loss in order that I may gain Christ. What did he forfeit? Plenty. Title. Reputation. Professional friends and community standing. A steady income and a warm bed most nights. But most importantly, he forfeited designing his own life. He gave up careerism for his calling. He gave up the fantasy of his independence for the truth of his interdependence. He allowed what was in his head about Christ to enter his bloodstream, his calendar, and his checkbook. He took Jesus spirituality of simplicity he became a scandal by virtue of following jesus the scandal does our faith resemble paul's if not why not are we guilty of taking on a form of godliness while denying the power thereof or we scarcely want to be inconvenienced for christ's sake let alone actively forfeit anything just look at the cajoling that is to go on in most churches for time or money needed to enlarge God's mission. Just look at how much we like being liked more than 
leading our people in the direction of God's calling. I like that guy, don't you? <laughs> African American Episcopal Bishop, first one ever hit Atlanta at <laughs> making waves. Well, let me say as I go how much I enjoy being with you this morning. I hope you learned a little something along the way about joy and the power of St. Paul. I hope you find time today to really know him. Just sit down and be conscious of him. That's all you got to do to to know him. Just be conscious of him. And let me let me offer a prayer before you go. Let, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to take this moment to thank you for the wonderful people that provide this ministry. How gracious they are. How special and sweet. We pray for the ministry of Ricky and all the people that he has mentored and brought into a closer relationship with you. Bless them on their trips and watch over them and what they what they do. And we bless you, we honor you, and we praise your holy name. Amen. Well, goodbye till next time, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today. Bye-bye. Hoje a minha alma Põe em mim o aroma de Jesus Lírio dos vales Cresce em beleza, força e luz Rosa de Sharon